Hello everyone and welcome to the sixth and final episode of series one of the Ian's Tech Travels podcast. I want to finish the series in style and I'm confident I can do so as I'm joined today by Bijna Dasani, MBE. Uh, Bijna is an executive director at Morgan Stanley and an expert in fintech, business management and diversity and inclusion too. And before I go on, Bijna, hi, uh, how are you getting on today and where are you joining us from? Hello from Mumbai, Ian. Really excited to uh, be talking to you today. Um, we have just gone into full lockdown here, and I think today is the first day that restrictions are easing for you. So um, I'm joining you from the same planet, but in a very different space at the moment. Oh, I, I, and I, I feel for you there, Bijna. As, as I was saying to you earlier, uh, we, we've seen footage on TV today of the pubs reopening and things like that. It seems different mood music over here, but I, I do hope things improve, improve over in India soon. Um, Thank you. Hey, no worries. Um, so moving on to today's conversation, Bijan, I'd like to talk today about the impact of technology on diversity and inclusion, uh, which is a, a huge topic. And, and before I, I jump into that, um, could you give us a quick overview of your work in, in diversity, inclusion and fintech? Uh, and you know, what led you to your, your role that you do now? Sure. Um, it's a it's a long question. So so let me try and summarize. Yeah, no, I have a habit um, doing that. My <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's a great question, you know, and, and, and it gives me, you know, reason to think as well. But I, I look, let's start at the very beginning. For me, um, there's always been a need for reform, um, I guess, through two avenues. One is awareness and the second is policy and practice to support and strengthen that awareness that we're building. Um, I personally have probably been more sensitive to the DNI agenda throughout my career in the last 20 odd years because I've experienced situations firsthand through the professional world as a minority, not just from one DNI lens, but so many. So let me translate that into examples, right? When I was kind of in middle management in my career, I'd be going into you know, a boardroom, and, and this is a financial services setup. Um, and I've primarily been, you know, mostly in around the UK and Europe, and I did a few years in the US. And wherever I was, I was either the only female in the room, or often the youngest person in the room, um, or the only ethnic minority in a room. And, and it, it's, it's kind of struck me along the way that there is just so much of a need to create awareness and also to create the policy that I talk about or the policies to, to kind of frame a DNI agenda to actually create truly inclusive workplaces. It's only when you understand the depth of diversity that you can create inclusion. And I think they go hand in hand and, and therefore they're both really, really important. Um, globally, we've come a long way um, regardless of which industry or sector we belong to. Um, but we also have a very long way to go. I think what we're doing are just still simply drops in the ocean. Um, and, you know, the organizations that I support, they address the DNI agenda from different lenses. So, for example, um, I support uh, an organization by the name of Generation Success. Generation Success is spearheaded out of London. Before I became an advisory board member, I was a volunteer and I spoke at some of their events. Um, they focus on social inclusion. Now, social inclusion and social mobility are terms that we're seeing more and more about, particularly in the past year, as you know, the pandemic has highlighted 
you know, the anti-Asian violence campaigns, the Black Lives Matter campaigns, there's so much more focus on there. And there is a strong correlation between ethnicity and socioeconomic classes. And I think what, you know, what's important about generation success is that they work hard to provide opportunities for young people from um, lower social income backgrounds and give them pathways into careers into some of the you know larger organizations that would typically or historically have hired from let's say you know red brick or ivy league university so they're trying to break the mold talk about some of the um you know the skills and the attributes that these candidates will come with you know what it is that drives them motivates them and, and how these would translate into transferable skills in the workplace um and it's all very relevant today but i think it's 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 been important for a long time it's just that it's coming to light now mm. um there is another organization that i support the inclusive companies network um they they run an award ceremony once a year but it's very stringent they're open to different uh, sectors and organizations from across the UK but what's really interesting about the work they do is that they benchmark and create data um, insights based on you know the applications that they get and they've got some really really strong learnings on how to deliver the DNI agenda well within an organization regardless of where you are so it's really creating frameworks it's endorsing positive frameworks it's basically giving feedback to those um, that could do with improving their frameworks. And I think it's a really sound way for organizations to learn from one another through this, through this institution that's kind of acting like a custodian of data and is kind of brokering, you know, what the best practices look like. So those are a couple of examples, but I, you know, do spend a lot of time on the gender parity debate, um, particularly last five or six years have spent um, a lot of time in uh, encouraging girls and women into tech. Uh, the numbers and the uptake at school are very low. Um, I think in the UK and primary schools, the uptake for STEM subjects is only 11%. Um, and so we need to demystify what careers and technology actually look like and what they mean. And we need to encourage um, higher updates because that's really where the jobs of the future are it's where a lot of the jobs of today are but definitely where the jobs of the future are so so that's broadly the work i do um, my day job is within financial services but there's been a huge overlap with innovation digital transformation and, and, and automation and technology over the past decade at least so i think it's it's you know sort of goes hands hand in hand um, and it ties nicely to some of the um you know, the activities that I do in the DNI space outside of my working life. Hmm. Uh, Bijan, I, I rarely stay quiet that long, but that, that was really fascinating. Um, there, was, there was a good reason for it this time. Um, well, look, the thing is, you, you touched on some really great work there and also, you know, diversity and inclusion. But I want to get deeper into this topic because on the one hand, not every DNI effort is successful. Uh, and on the other hand, people might often equate it with things like tokenism and, and you know, things aren't actually that useful. So, I'd like to tie it into uh, a more kind of, well, we'll give it a give it more context, really. So when we look at technology, people assume it will level the playing field. And in reality, that's not always the case when it comes to you know, racial or, or gender diversity or other types of diversity. Uh, in fact, I, I noted that an Oxford professor of economic geography, Darius Wojcik, uh, said earlier this year that uh, there's a real threat that fintech will actually set gender diversity back. Uh, so the issue is deeper than, than just re representation. Uh, and we look at artificial intelligence and algorithms, uh, especially when they're, in, you know, they're embedded in assumptions that are themselves 
uh, you know, created by people who are, who are biased, either implicitly or explicitly, uh, there's going to be a problem. So a, a tragic example of this is in US healthcare. I think in, in 2019, the journal Science uh, found an algorithm uh, used widely in American hospitals that had systematically discriminated against black people. Um, what it essentially did was it was it was less likely to refer black people for care, even when they were just a, as needy of it as white people. So 17.7% of black people were, were referred for care in a scenario where had they been white, 46.5% of them uh, would have been given treatment that they desperately needed. Uh, we've had similar issues, of course, around uh, reoffender rates in the American courts. Uh, and, and therefore, I think we should be really wary of how, you know, bias that we already have built into technology uh, might impact financial services. So my question after all of that, Bijner, is, is how do we actually effectively level the playing field? And, and how can technology help us to, to do that rather than to further re-entrench biases and inequalities that are already kind of baked into the system? So this is a really interesting and important um, debate, and I think we could be here for for hours talking about this one. It's one that's very close to my heart, and, and you know some of the statistics that that you touched upon are just staggering. It, it, it's shocking that we are, on one hand, you know, it's sort of in twenty twenty one and more progressive than we've ever been as a planet, and on the other hand, um, you know let's let's take the fin the fintech sector you know despite its reputation for innovation um it, there have been a lot of reports to say that the sector has been troubled by a culture of silence on diversity and there have been charters launched last year but really it, it's 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 a tricky one if we take a step back and we look at the overall um dni agenda and let's just focus on on gender parity um, Ernst and Young published a report a few years ago that basically came forward and said, what we're doing on the gender debate is great, um, but we're still going to be 200, over 200 years away from pay parity. Now, this isn't something that can be solved overnight, but what this indicates is that, yes, there is a lot to do. Yes, there's an acknowledgement that we are way behind anywhere near kind of, you know, 50-50 on the equality debate. Uh, but it also gives light to the history that's kind of led us to arrive where we're at, right? Historically, um, there were lots of industries where women were not permitted to work, um, say, once they got married or once they were having children, um, or they were not given access to opportunities or into education as early as men, depending on which country you come from. So I can tell you, I worked in a bank um, in the last decade, and I learned that, you know, one of my colleagues had a mother who worked in the same bank. Um, this is in the UK. And her mother was asked to leave the bank the minute she got married for no wow. other reason other than the fact that she was married. And this was as recent as 1988. Um, so it's within my lifetime, not so long ago, but what that meant was that women, for one reason or the other, were given less opportunity or prevented from pursuing opportunities in the same way as men, whether it's academia or whether it's um, employment. And therefore, by the time we arrive at 2020 or 2021, of course, we have a disproportionate world because the access to opportunity has been disproportionate all the way to this point in time. Mm -hmm. And I think what we need to do is leverage, um, you know, what the fintech world offers through its agility, through its capability, through, you know, flexible working policies um, 
to, to be able to redistribute some of that equation and rebalance it. And I think that's the important thing, understanding that we are, we have disparity because of reasons that were outside of our control. They were how the world was run, perhaps before you and I even got here. Um, but some of them overlapped into our lifetime. And now we live in a world where, you know, our words shape our world, our voice matters. And we have the capability to champion inclusive recruitment practices um, and, and through technology, and as we've seen through nothing better than the pandemic over the past year, we have the perfect opportunity to create more jobs and more opportunities through flexible working policies and through upskilling existing members of the workforce community today. Um, to, to kind of come in and, and kind of hit the ground running and, and take up as much or as little as they want to. Yeah, Bijan, I find that particularly interesting, especially the, the shift to remote working that we've seen, uh, you know, throughout this, this lockdown uh, internationally. And it's also staggering that you mentioned 200 years away from, from, from gender parity. And, and Bijan, is that, is that internationally or is that a, a UK specific? Yes. Uh, internationally? globally, globally. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that, that really does give some context to the level of the, of the challenge that we, we face here. Um, so to give us some some positivity in the midst of all that, because it's clearly a, a huge issue to overcome. Who's, who's leading the way in diversity and inclusion in the fintech world? You know, uh, are there any innovators that we should all be aware of? And, and similarly, are there any apps or products that you've seen in the tech space that, that might help make that 200 years be far shorter? Well, I, I think, you know, that there's a lot that's happening and I think it's really important to be able to take out what's valuable from all the noise and all the innovation and all the creativity that's out there. And I think we're yet to kind of see um, what will be groundbreaking and game changing for our foreseeable future, given that we're now starting to come out of this pandemic um, in, in some countries and, and hopefully, you know, the entire world will sort of relieve itself from this pandemic um, in, in, the, in the 12 months to come. Look, we are in the fourth industrial revolution. This has brought us advanced robotics. We have autonomous transport um, ideas, you know, kind of floating around. We have artificial intelligence um, at the touch of our fingertips and machine learning. We have um, biotechnology. We have all sorts of capabilities that are out there and and this has at least in the last five years if not longer actually transformed the way in which we live and we work definitely through the pandemic for most of us and so you know what we expect to see through through the remainder of this revolution is that some jobs will actually disappear other jobs will expand and other jobs that don't exist today will become common and so what we need to do is really rather than focus on what's out there today Today, we need to focus on what the capability can do for us to help us get to where, where we intend to get to and, and how to be equipped and skilled for the future that's yet to come. Because I think we're still in the middle of that, that kind of ideation, creation, test and learn phase. Um, a few years ago, the World Economic Forum predicted um, what the top 10 skills in the workplace would be. This was in their Future of Jobs report. Um, so... In 2015, let me just call out a few, right? Yep. In the top 10, you were you were expected to be able to have these skills. You were expected to have complex problem solving, coordinating with people, managing people, negotiating, undertaking quality control, being a good listener, being creative. All of that is now changed. And today, 
you know, the top 10 skills that you need are around critical thinking, around emotional intelligence, around judgment and decision making, and around cognitive flexibility. So whilst creativity has become one of the top three skills that we need in this world, the, the avalanche of technologies and products and new ways of working, they basically mean that we have to be more creative and we have to be more intuitive on some level to be able to understand and actually get benefits from these changes. So um, what, what I'm, I guess, leading to here is that it's no longer about what is the technology that's going to change change the world for us? It's about what is out there that we can leverage, that we can apply our emotional intelligence to. And that's kind of fast becoming the number one commodity. And I think the World Economic Forum had predicted that that will become the one thing that, that employees are really mostly valued on and say, okay, what is it that we should be aware of that we can leverage to our best advantage to be able to do more? And so on that spectrum, what I can tell you is that not just in the fintech world, but across the board, right, there are a couple of things out there recently that I think would would be notable that we should be aware of that could potentially change the way in which we operate and could help us through this transformation as we kind of figure out what are the, the kind of, you know, the real things to watch. Um, within our organizations, but also across our customer segments and also in our respective industries, whether it's financial services or technology or fintech. So, so one is um, Viva. It's launched by Microsoft and it's basically a new employee experience portal that basically addresses the challenges of remote work. Now, why I think this is really exciting is because a lot of organizations are talking about flexible working going forward. A lot of new emerging organizations have remote working spaces. And I think this is the way of the future. Nobody is talking about going back into the office full time. And so as we move into how we will be operating in the future, this app integrates with Microsoft Teams and Office 365 apps. And it basically um, eases the workflow for people that are operating remotely. It can bring together communication, resources, knowledge sharing, um, and it puts everything onto a single accessible portal. So I think this is really interesting because it then gives you a completely changed employee experience, but it also revolutionizes how we frame the idea of a workplace. So that is your work place on a platform, I guess, effectively. Um, and, and this is kind of when we're in the era of remote and virtual and kind of increasing towards that. So I think rather than thinking about how we change the workplace, I think Viva would help us to maintain culture, remain connected, be creative, ideate, um, harness that human ingenuity in a hybrid world and I think that is is quite powerful um, and, and that will probably help a lot of organizations develop you know the next new thing to watch or the next new amazing capability that that hasn't arrived yet. Yeah and and, and that's really interesting and, and probably quite painful to hear if you work for Goldman Sachs but for everyone else it's quite good to know that things might be moving on to a a more you know equal remote working footing with technology for all but I, I suppose another thing to mention here is that access to technology is also an issue for some people because this fourth industrial revolution does sound good uh, from my perspective I certainly I think it's a it's a really credible notion and one we should stick with but is there is there actually a fourth industrial revolution for all I mean you've got lots of people in poverty internationally and 
and there's possibly a danger that technology further entrenches these gaps and, and for some context on this uh, the united nations university published an article it was about five years ago but but still relevant in my opinion uh, suggesting that technology might actually be widening the gap between the richest and the poorest uh, i mean they they, they lay the blame at uh, weak governance and entrepreneurship um, rather than encouraging them to blame technology but i think there's something to investigate there so do you think um, financial services can do more to encourage tech innovation that helps a broader base of people. Uh, and, and and what do you make of the idea that the fourth industrial revolution might be more of an, an economically developed world's, uh, you know, idea? So I think you you absolutely are right. There is a there is a poverty trap that could be um, further heightened or has been already actually through the pandemic for, for many. Um, and the industry, the financial services industry is talking about it for its customers, for its employees, um, but there's a lot to be done and there needs to be um, an you know economic and political support in this arena too. It's not just down to the corporations in, in the financial services world. I was reading just um, over the weekend that of the um, 90 million people in India that were due to be, um, you know, in the middle income segment by 2030, 33 million have through the pandemic now been pushed into extreme poverty and they will not make it. And it creates and gives life to a new problem. Um, in the UK, there was an article um, uh, on, on middle of March that I was reading that basically talked about how the pandemic stalls growth in, in the global middle class and it pushes poverty up sharply. So, you know, simple examples, you have people who, um, you know, have one person that's lost a say you've got you know two partners and two children you've got an average household in the west or in the east wherever you are and if one of them loses their job through the pandemic or through any other circumstance they are going to struggle um given everything that's happened with the pandemic and that pushes them into a different socio-demographic category almost instantly um living standards around the world have changed there is report there is there are reports on there from from the world economic forum and the world bank has also estimated you know that the global eco economy contracted by 4.3 percent um just in 2020 alone and, and we don't know what's going to happen yet this year so so this is definitely a problem that exists um the the middle income or the middle class is is basically um a common practice among economists right that define uh the middle segment in terms of income or consumption um and and it's it's kind of broadly looking at, you know, college education, white collar work, economic security, whether you have a home, those sorts of things. But there is a lot of, there are a lot of these factors that have an interplay um, and then add a layer of ethnicity. And as I spoke about earlier, there is a huge correlation between those from, you know, ethnic minority backgrounds being more likely to be pushed into this poverty trap or this lower income segment um, than anyone else. And so that in itself is, is, is kind of, you know, something else that has been exaggerated by the pandemic. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really, really tricky one because I think, you know, racial inequality in financial services is also a, a significant topic that's been discussed over the past year, particularly since we had, you know, some of the issues come to light through the US. Um, the financial services talent pipeline has 
and, and this is not me speaking, this is the data speaking, and there was a report from McKinsey that talked about racial inequality last year, and it basically says that the, the industry talent pipeline showcases a lack of representation of people of colour, mostly at senior levels, and there are three key changes that companies need to make to progress. Um, and so what organisations need to do is, first of all, understand the communities in which they serve, and, and, and talk about representation, that the representation within the organizations should ideally reflect the representation that of the communities that they're serving. And then secondly, when they're hiring into the organizations, that is one step in the process, but retention is part and parcel of that process. So you can't just hire and not implement policy and practice to retain. We've also seen um, a lot of females from ethnic minority uh, communities drop out of the workplace over the past year that lends itself to its own issues and, and problems that need to be resolved um, and and it's 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 significant so there are issues around attrition there are issues around promotion around retention that need to be worked through and there really isn't a one-fits-all um, you know a one-fits-all strategy here but if we look at the global banking agenda I would say that almost every bank um, you know, that, that I'm aware of is looking at social inclusion seriously. Um, Santander rolled out a really good um, program over the last year where they talked about social inclusion being the norm on our planet um, or needing to be a norm on our planet because social exclusion had become an, a norm. They talked about poverty, inequality, vulnerability, which can be social, um, and marginalization, which basically, um, you know, are immersed in social occlusion and how they need to be eliminated to create a fairer and more sustainable world. Um, and they talk about a World Bank report which says that 32% of adults at a global level lack access to basic banking services and how we need to go ahead and you know, promote financial empowerment, literacy and numeracy for our customers if we are in the retail banking space. I see a lot of banks doing that. They're, they're contributing to the development of society. Um, you know, I worked for a banking group in the UK um, just, just a few years ago, and they were rolling out all sorts of programs to help customers come in on Saturdays and navigate their online banking portals to help small businesses, you know, get savvy with technology and the internet and help them to promote their, their, their products and their services. But you're right, we're, we're kind of, again, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot to be done. And what we need to do is ensure that the population um, where we operate and serve that population needs to have access to, first of all, internet, depending on where you are in the world, and then secondly, basic financial services. We need to give offerings of services and products, whether we're fintechs or large financial services institutions, that support and contribute to the growth of the economy of people with low income, families with economic problems, and the most vulnerable groups. Um, and then we also need to develop programs and initiatives to promote the financial education of the population so that they can learn how to take successful financial decisions. We can't be seen as being um, unethical and giving them options that they need to pick and choose from that we, we don't support in educating them about. So I think that, um, you know, those three things in themselves kind of are applicable to, 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 to segments all over the world. Um, and I know Santander, going back to their, their program, you know, they've taken a, a, a step to come forward and say that they financially want to empower 10 million people globally between sort of now and 2025. So I think, you know, it's a good example for us all. 
Yeah, uh, and and you know what? At the start of this Bijan, I said I don't often stay quiet for long, but you you've got such good research for this. So thank you so much for 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 having that ready. And and honestly, it's really really eye opening. Uh, a couple of things as well. I mean, firstly, the point you make around people from less privileged backgrounds, uh, you know, working class backgrounds. It's something that often doesn't get discussed enough in, in diversity uh, conversations, I don't think. And yet it's such a, a huge issue in making sure that people, even if it's just across the UK, do get proper financial inclusion, uh, proper economic inclusion. And if anyone wants to talk about that with me a future date, please do do get in touch. Uh, another thing I want to touch upon is, is again, gender diversity. Uh, because when you look at the rates of employment in, in technology, as well as financial services, there, there's some interesting stuff that comes up. So uh, the, the US equal, and, and a lot of my data is from the US, by the way, but there's some fantastically rich data out there. Uh, the, the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission uh, reported a few years ago that 80% of technology executives are men, 82% of the executives are white. Uh, and, and again, in the US, uh, roughly a quarter of the technology workforce is female. So it's obviously a tech problem and a financial services problem too. Um, to make matters worse, 9% of, of tech workers are African-American in the US, uh, relative to 13.4% of the population, uh, according to the US census in 2019. Uh, and 7% of US uh, tech workers are Hispanic, relative to 18.5% of the population, which is a huge, a huge gap. Um, and again, when, once people are in the, uh, the, the industry, in the tech industry, uh, attrition rates are also uh, much higher for women leaving tech than they are for, for men. So, yeah, I'm looking at America rather than the world at large. Uh, but, but much of the, the technology that we use will have American roots, I suppose. That's how, how I'm justifying it, Vijna. But, but what's going on here and how do we actually achieve better female representation in fintech? So this is a really... Um you know, a really important topic too, because if we don't improve the numbers now, we're never going to get to parity or to a better place. And, and there was a report by Forbes, um, you know, sort of at the end of last year that talked about um, this exact um, issue. They talked about the fact that the technology industry has inherent gender diversity issues. Um, and, and basically, you know, this is affecting the entire future of the industry. Um, and it compared the industry to alternative sectors such as healthcare. But really, I guess to sum it up, they said that one factor leading to the absence of gender diversity in a lot of tech companies is poor industry culture that promotes anti-diversity biases. So what they're saying is that through these biases, there is unintentional discrimination that leads to poor decision-making in organizational management structures. So if not you know, managed through awareness and policy, which we talked about at the very beginning, um, these biases then become part of the recruitment processes, appraisal processes, promotion processes, decision-making processes. And because these are typically more agile institutions, without the formal policies in place, practices do waver. Um, the other thing it, that they talked about was that, you know, um, there is a poor industrial culture um, that leads to even worse daily biases, right? So they said that there was a study that found that the technology industry in Silicon Valley, um, you know, fell short on more than 16 billion US dollars every year due to the turnover of 50% of women in the field, to your point. Um, and many of those leaving the field 
um, stated that harassment constituted part of the decision to leave. Now, again, this is extremely serious and the numbers are staggering. So the data says that there is something fundamentally wrong with the organization cultures in the technology industry stemming out of that part of the world that just cannot be ignored. And the labor shortages and diversity issues do need to be resolved, but with policy and with practice. Um, and then they talked about one more, which was, you know, it, looking at women employed in technical positions. So they examined Apple, Google, Facebook, and said that, you know, the, the number of women in these technical positions at these firms is only somewhere between 20 to 25%. Uh, and it's the same for Microsoft. And so if there aren't women in these technical positions, then when you're trying to bring new women in through the doors, they don't have role models to, to look, look up to within the organization. And again, this is something that a lot of industries have seen over the years. And it's something that, again, promotes kind of an anti-diversity position. And so this also, you know, turned on its head needs to become a business case for improving diversity. So creating more mentors, creating role models, creating accessible women in technical positions that other young women and girls can aspire to and, and can get, get inspiration in terms of kind of developing their careers from. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting you mentioned the lack of role models because because you know I'd like to talk more about yourself I know we had a, a quick introduction to what you do at the start but but a couple of questions I'm going to do that annoying thing again Bijna where I ask you three questions at once um, firstly you know what was your inspiration for taking your career path and and as well as that you know what are the challenges you've had to overcome what 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 moments have been tough for you and and what lessons have, have you learned along the way so I have to say that I was, I kind of walked into um, banking with a blindfold on. Um, and, and by that, what I mean was that I um, got in to, got my first introduction to the industry, um, you know, through an internship at Credit Suisse a long time ago now when I first started out. And it was a very exciting proposition to be with, uh, you know, a global investment bank and learn about these new products and asset classes and, and get a lot of technical knowledge. But what I wasn't prepared for um, was the fact that I would stand out um, because I was different from the different diversity lenses that I talked about. So, you know, female, ethnic minority, age, all those things. And at some point in my career, you know, I've experienced different uh, versions of reality because of those factors. I would say that we are a lot more progressed now than we were when I was starting out in my career in terms of, you know, having policies and practices. But as I went through that journey, um, you know, I, I really felt that if I was experiencing something, someone else may also experience that. And so it was really important to take on, um, you know, a responsibility to try and communicate in a constructive way, you know, what those experiences felt like or what they meant um, and, and how we might go about changing them and creating new levels of awareness or practice going forward. And so that really is, is, is the gist of the DNI work that I do. It's to make sure that we educate ourselves, we remain aware, we remain um, open-minded. Sometimes you can be positively biased, that so we don't get positively biased and trying not to be biased. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I have had some incredible experiences and I've worked with some wonderful people along the way who I wouldn't have met otherwise. And many of those have become 
mentors, career coaches, almost role models for me throughout my career. And I would say that, you know, any, any positive successes that I have are attributed to all those people that have taught me things throughout, throughout my career. And, and also, you know, because of that reason, I think that we do absolutely need more people to step up, come forward and help from a DNI perspective to create a more inclusive workplace. Just like the example we talked about by having more visible role models, mentors and advocates and allies um, to create career pathways and opportunities for people from different backgrounds. There is a direct impact to the bottom line. Um, there are lots of reports to suggest that and to evidence it. And I, I don't need to go into that, but I think it's good for business. It's good for organizational culture. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, the way forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there's clearly so much work to be done, but it is, it is encouraging to hear that it is being done. Uh, and, and a final question for you, Bijna, before I wrap this up. Um, I'd like you to tell us more about your mentoring work with the Kajigo app. That's Kajigo, C-A-G, sorry, C-A-J, sorry, I-G-O. Um, can you tell us more about Kajigo and the work you're doing to get more women infused about tech careers? Because getting more people into, into the professions, obviously, is, is a great way that we can start to, to make a positive impact. Absolutely, absolutely. So Kajugo um, was was previously a women in tech mentoring project that started in London about five or six years ago. Um, and I was with the founding cohort, um, which, which was run by a lady called Raf Bumra. Um, she basically felt that there was a need to empower young girls and women into into tech, into roles for tech. And she saw that there was a lot of opportunity with more and more jobs as we know them today being translated into some le level of automation or technology enabled uh, roles and, and tasks. And so when we started this, this journey of, you know, careers in tech and what does a career in tech or what do, you know, careers in the STEM fields mean, we had an incredible uptake. So at one point, the demand for the mentoring programs exceeded the supply of mentors. And so what Rav did, decided to do was to turn it digital. So she launched Kajigo, which is an app-based mentoring program um, that, that well, there are there are different modules that you can select. So you can select modules for leadership, to demystify AI, to demystify RPA, lots of different subjects. And what it does is it it it, it kind of promotes the vision that in this technology-driven world, we do need more women to be included, as we just talked about, so that products, services, and technological advancements can improve the way in which we live, work, and play. And through Kajigo, we're trying to demystify what it means to have careers in tech, but more specifically to be a woman in tech. And so through that, showcasing different career pathways that young girls and women um, can take and how to navigate them uh, to really get to the highest level. So, so Kajigo is a platform where you know you can download um, subscriptions to different um, video series you can connect and chat with other women you can have access to one or multiple mentors you can be inspired by industry role models you can get uh, communication if you'll say you know somebody at college trying to figure out what you want to do or at university applying for internships you can reach out to senior executives of particular firms and you can really basically take um, strategic guidance on how to take your career or your aspirations to the next level. Um, it's available globally. It's on the App Store and, Go and on Google Play. Um, and there are programs being rolled out at schools across the UK um, for an initiative called Kajigo Schools. So this is really to help 
young girls see the possibilities of what they can become in the future. And these workshops talk about the pathways and the variety of careers um, through STEM subjects and, and, and what that means, you know, um, for girls from year nine upwards. Uh, then there's also Kajigo in the workplace. So this is, you know, what I talked about earlier, having accessible role models in the workplace, helping you develop personal uh, development plans, getting into contact with females uh, within your organization or similar organizations. And we do, um, you know, promote workshops that incorporate a three-month leadership development program as well. So this is kind of above and beyond the app that goes hand in hand with the app. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the gist of Kajigo to help demystify, to encourage, empower, uh, and create accessible pathways and, and knowledge, um, you know, for women and girls to build careers in tech. Brilliant. I mean, that sounds like such important work as well. Uh, and Bijan, if I can ambush you with one, one more question, actually, because we will have a, our listeners will be financial advisors, wealth managers, various other people across the asset management industry, and probably a few in the tech industry too. Um, for those looking to create a more diverse workplace culture, you know, in a nutshell, is there, is there any kind of immediate advice you would have uh, and any kind of practical things that people can do to, to make that happen more quickly? You know, I think we've been talking about this for, for, for a while now um, with some of the organizations that I support. And I would say that one thing that we are rolling out across multiple organizations that we found value in is um, storytelling and personas. So with some of the topics that have come to light through the pandemic, um, especially very sensitive ones such as, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and racial inequality that's recently translated into, you know, the anti-Asian violence campaigns um, or even domestic violence, which has been at an all-time high and affected a lot of people in the workplace. Um, we've started to find role models from within the organizations to come forward and say, this is my story. This is where I have experienced racial inequality, or this is where I have experienced impact to my mental health because of what's happened during the pandemic or some form of violence, or this is where I have impact, or, or this is where I have experienced, you know, social, uh, a change in my social demographic because, you know, somebody in my family has been impacted through losing their job through the pandemic. And I think what we found is that there are more people than ever willing to come forward and actually share their stories. But actually what that does, it puts into light the framework for each of these different diversity and inclusion agenda points that we want to cover. Um, we're also looking at, um, through these different organizations, you know, retention. So how do you prevent attrition? Why are people leaving? And we talked about the fintech industry and we talked about Silicon Valley in particular, but you know, attrition at middle management level is pretty common across financial services. Um, and it has been for quite some time. And there's lots of research and, and lots of lot, there are lots of data points on why that is. But again, one is around, you know, visibility to role models, mentoring, helping people through um, challenges when typically your life is likely to have, you know, more responsibilities at home and you're likely to have more responsibilities at work. So how do we educate our male allies and counterparts? on balancing um, those responsibilities at the workplace and at home. Uh, and then how do we translate that into the workplace? So I think the two for me that are, I'm really seeing work well that other organizations may benefit from are finding advocates to come forward and storytell and tie those to the framework of the DNI agenda. And secondly, you know, role models and advocates to come forward and help, you know, look at how you can make small changes to help redistribute the balance of responsibilities at home and at work to 
promote retention and 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 alleviate retention and attrition sorry yeah a really good really good point to finish on and Bijan, look thank you so much for your time today it was a real pleasure having you on the podcast um and, and just really just interesting stuff to to finish the series up with so, so thank you for joining us and, uh, and also for everyone listening, of course, um, for everyone listening, uh, thanks for joining series one of the Tech Travels podcast. It will be back again soon. I will announce the date later on, um, but it's been a real pleasure and I really hope you found the whole series interesting. So thanks again to all of you and thanks again to Bijna. Uh, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.